the same Ahazu Erus who ruled over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahazu Erus sat on his royal throne in the citadel of Susa in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his officials and ministers. The army of Persia and Medea and the nobles and governors of the province were present while he displayed the great wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and pomp of his majesty for many days, 180 days in all. When these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in the citadel of Susa, both great and small, a banquet lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and blue hangings tied with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry marble, mother of pearl, and colored stones. Drinks were served in golden goblets, goblets of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. Drinking was by flagons, without restraint, for the king had given orders to all officials of his palace to do as each one desired. Furthermore, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the palace of King Ahazu Erus. On the seventh day, when the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bizta, Harbona, Bigta, and Abagta, Zethar, and Kerkis, the seven eunuchs who attended to him, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing the royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the officials her beauty, for she was fair to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, conveyed by the eunuchs, at this, the king was enraged, and his anger burned within him. The word of God for the people of God. Who knows? Perhaps you've come to a position and power for such a time as this. They come later in the story, but every story needs its context. We know that Esther has never been absent when women tell our stories. In the new makeover reality shows of today, Esther's been refreshed, remade, remodeled without appropriate acknowledgments, excuse me, with appropriate acknowledgments to Diane Tidbell, a British Christian writer, I want to introduce you to Esther as a post-feminist, post-liberal icon of justice. So pray with me today as I share a few words on the idea when a woman wants justice. 
Lord, let these words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of each and every heart here be acceptable in thy sight. For you alone are the source of our strength and our salvation. Amen. With reactions from outrage to silence, the writers of the book we call Christian Scripture preserves the revelation of God made known in Jesus with keen attention to the perspective of women. Make no mistake, in the ancient culture where paternal patriarchs patronize, the very inclusion of women in God's revelation is to be noted. Wesley was right. The Judeo-Christian worldview is the oldest perspective to demonstrate God putting into practice what it means to say the best is yet to come. God made man and said, oops. Okay, forgive me for that. (laughs) As a little proof texting, it takes years of sexist oppression to force you to read the creation story with that kind of condescension. But nevertheless, if you believe that we should save the best for last, I do believe the last creation we had recorded on the sixth day is a woman. I'm just saying. And by the way, if anybody ever says to you that you're a dirtbag, get over yourself. It's true. But I stopped reading too soon. God labored over a lump of clay and created the human one as a divine facsimile. In the image of God, created he them, male and female. And the Wesleys once said, we are transcripts of the Trinity. So when a woman wants justice, she's simply reflecting the creator, covenanting God, whose righteousness and holiness is best described as justice. For a long time, we've described love as the primary expression of the people of faith, but we can talk about love without really liking a person. The sentimentality is not justice. We reference the mercy of God, sometimes offering a cheap grace that privileges our shortcomings at the expense of others. That trivializes divine justice. We we recently speak of hospitality, but a genuine warm welcome is not a sufficient sign of God's justice. God's justice is described from Revelation to Genesis as what the Lord requires us to do. So doing justice and righteousness is how God may bring about for humanity what God has always promised to do. When the people of God side with the majority and begin to look like everybody else, justice is perverted. And after the prophet's multiple warnings that failure to practice justice is what landed the children of Israel in exile, loving the stranger and caring for the widow and children is a sign of God's justice. When we practice this, we reflect the glory of God revealed in Christian scripture. So pay attention to the story that speaks of women in a culture and a time before the Equal Rights Amendment. 
those women who were living into the inheritance that God promised, that was promised by God alone. They knew that when God had labored over that lump of clay, it was a design that made you say, whoa. I'm not talking about a matrix moment for those who are into those. You got to remember Adam's response. Whoa, man. God's intention was always for community, a place where righteousness and justice and truth are demonstrated in relationship of people. But we live in a post-Genesis 3 world, and because of the fall, the reality we experience is a distortion of God's design. So small-term skirmishes, petty infighting, financial irresponsibility, unexpected illness, death, social disruption, but who knows? If you keep silence, help may arise from another. Perhaps you have come into position and power for just such a time. So often we speak of Esther as a woman for her time. We recognize her wisdom, applaud her audacity. But there's a contrast to be made between the bold in-your-face feminism of Queen Vashti and the the get-the-job-done effectiveness of Esther. Vashti opened the door. Without her, there'd be no Esther. Esther was therefore able to walk through, but she also didn't just open the door for Esther. The door swung open for many others to come long after her. The circumstances of their exile were not unlike our own. National tragedy, international disaster, industrial disquiet, political difficulty, economic catastrophe, calamity, and the consequential human suffering. In times like these, the burden of urgency can outweigh any hint of hope. When disaster strikes, the question is not far behind. Where is God? Somebody ought to do something. Maybe write a book. When God doesn't make sense. What happens when women pray? Purpose-driven life, left behind. I kiss dating goodbye, beauty for ashes. Sorry, that didn't come out right. Maybe hold a seminar, invite somebody in, talk about leadership, financial responsibility, living single and holy. Pump us up, comfort us, make us a happy people. We've been there. We've done that. We've bought the T-shirt. Like all of our United Methodist conferencing, we got the mug and the book bag. (laughs) But now's your time, girlfriend. Do something. Let's see what you got. Now watch this. Esther doesn't whine and dine. Excuse me, doesn't whine, but she does dine. She doesn't even lay blame, but she does convey shame. Until finally she gets prepared a community-wide memorandum and has it signed, sealed, and delivered by the head honcho in charge. Let's take another look at our sister, who we know so well. She was obviously inspired by God because these events were eventually bound and located in the denominational archives. But the transcript wasn't actually an invitation fit for NPR broadcast. It was more like a BET reporter from inside urban America broadcasting criticisms of the welfare effort. The report is tight, well prepared, somewhere between novel and edict. 
Before projecting on the big screen the immediate tragedy of the community, the writer begins by introducing us to the protagonist. This is storytelling at its best. It sets the stage, gives us background, provides perspective. So we learn a little something something about our sister. To show the ultimate significance of current events, the writer portrays spiritual truth by conveying metaphysical realities. The keepers of the people's memory knew that Israel was protected by God. And while God isn't directly mentioned, it is important to remember why we have this story at all. It's never about one. Israel's existence was never about their privilege. It was always about their responsibility. The children of Abraham were recreated from nothing. Remember, Sarah was a childless mother when God promised Abraham his children. But by that nation, all the nations would be blessed. And God was keeping a promise that he had made to the first woman, Eve. When she was escorted out of the garden, God said, baby girl, one day your seed will, just, will restore glory to all my creation. Your children will do that. Do what I created you and Adam to do. Bear my image in the world. So God shows up with faithfulness. Uh, um, uh, so God showed his faithfulness to Noah by painting a rainbow in the sky and promising I'll never destroy the earth like that again. Which means that again... The grandchildren, who are also the grandchildren of Eve, will bear God's image in the world. But when the people forgot to tell their grandparents' stories and started an industrial movement to build a megachurch to honor humanity, God kept his promise to Eve by calling Sarah into the parenthood trap. But that's another story I really don't have time to tell. So where was I? Oh, yeah, Esther was a grandchild of promise. I knew there was a reason I went off on that train. A daughter of Sarah, a daughter of Eve, transcript of the Trinity, who thought, who thought a faint image that, who though a faint image that was difficult to read, nevertheless reveals the glory of her creator. Sister, sometime even when we mess up, God will get his glory out of our lives. We're just earthen vessels, jars of clay, cracked pots, but in those cracks, that is where the glory of God seeps through. You know the story, as Jeremiah Wright from Chicago put it, Esther forgot who she was. She'd been encouraged to do so by her own family, to forget her given name in order to better fit in with everybody else. She gave up her native habits and enjoyed $100 spas, manicured fingers and toes, and her closet was filled with thousands of dollars of dresses she would never wear more than once. Fashion Flair, Revron, and Mary Kay were not good enough for her skin. And while she went to Vegas sporting her African attire, her sisters back home were dealing with AIDS or orphans and such inadequate health care as a woman's baby could die during delivery because she didn't have a handout for a doctor in between her Lamaze breathing. I'm sorry, that's today's news, but it's not too much like it was then. But hold on, because against her, she was willing not to seize the opportunity that had been afforded to her. She knew the risk. She knew the, 
the history. She had heard what had happened to the queen before her, and she knew that she was in a position that made her want to keep silent in an important time. But Mordecai, her uncle, the one who had coached her to be quiet, recognized that the position that she now hold, held was not for her privilege, but for the benefit of God's people. So look back at me with her current husband, the king. He'd been so proud of his first wife, as you just heard the story acted out by the children and read in our scripture. He'd been so proud of his first wife, he attempted to demonstrate that with one of his infamous drunken parties. Drunk with the wine of the world, he forgot that his queen that was not just beautiful, but she was also a bodacious woman. That's the kind of woman that you don't mess with. But the king was hanging out with his friends, having a long party, and while he was partying, the queen was partying too. That's what made this moment so important. We don't recognize that while the king was with his guys, the women were with the queen. So whatever the queen did publicly was a statement for all the women to know that they could do when they went home too. But he got drunk and bored and arrogant, and so the queen crossed the border between sanity and said, send me my girl wearing nothing but the crown. Y'all can read that. Christy cleaned it up when she did it for the kids. But if you read the text, that's what he asked for. I don't know if he thought maybe he had Beyonce for his woman. He wanted to show her out to everybody. And the way the story goes, well, maybe it was true he did have Beyonce because he asked for her to come out and Vashti said, to the left, to the left. <laughs> Everything I own in a box to the left. In the closet, King, that's your stuff. Brother, I have had enough. No meant no for her. And when Vashti received her invitation, she said, I don't think so. Some invitations are not to be accepted. I don't care who the person is that offers it to you. I don't care what position they are in and what promises they make. Some invitations are not to be accepted. Sometimes sitting in the seat of privilege is not how you ensure justice. Sometimes simple integrity and a quiet wisdom and a clear no speaks louder than a title, public position, or privileged opportunity, and that is what happened for Vashti. She said no and she meant no and her response was unheard of, unprecedented and unforgettable. Because remember, she did it in front of all those women. In the face of oppression, injustice and stupidity, this is feminism at its best. But before I end, let me remind you that such actions that call into question the status quo and reactions that are quick and legal and binding for generations to come, we have to remember that many laws of oppression were written by oppressors in response to someone standing up for the oppressed. Because one doesn't glimpse justice because of a law. The revelation of God provided in Christian scripture keeps reminding us of human failure in the face of God's faithfulness. We can't see it, and so Jesus came to be it for us. Esther knew that she couldn't take the same position as Vashti. I, I think if she had, the book would be named after another queen. Vashti 
excuse me, she, Esther was in the position of power. She had res, uh, arrived. She was standing on the shoulders of the previous queen. Her ticket had been punched. Problem was, she was protecting her position rather than using it. So while Vashti spoke clearly, Esther intended to remain silent. And this is when Uncle Mordecai shows up, asking, so who knows? If you keep silent at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise from another. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your position of power for just a time as this. When a woman wants justice, she's got to do something. Justice isn't for just us individually. We are positioned one by one to serve many. That's God's justice. So now is the time when women of faith proclaim that what you see now is not what we get later. We cannot depend on a liberal manifesto of American democracy, fairness, and liberty, and justice for all, nor can we expect a conservative, moral, Republican, moral majority Republican platform to serve us well. We can't expect the cultural practices that ruined God's design to become the fix for the problem. The hope of the world remains that the rumors are true. What the people of God do is a result of what we believe. We do particular things that draw attention beyond ourselves and point to God. We make clear to the world that God is doing a new thing. And it starts among the people of God. That's why we gather. That's why we pray. That's why we fast. And God's men support that. What, what, was it, what was it that made Mordecai tell all of his people to hold a fast? What was it? It was because a woman said something. Because she wanted the justice he wanted. And why did she say what she said? Because another woman wanted justice. And she said no to the most powerful one on earth in their community. And he couldn't do a thing about it. I don't know where you are. I don't know what opportunities God has given you. But if you want justice, if you want this thing that Jesus died to give all the world, it starts by remembering who you are and whose you are. And then giving up all the power and privilege that you've been afforded and ex accepting the opportunity to be a peculiar people demonstrating the righteous justice of the creator covenanting God in the world where he's given you influence. It might cost you a position. It did for Vashti. But because she lost her position, women like me can stand in a pulpit today because God's people were preserved and God's Messiah did come. And we gather together in the season of fasting, once again, to come to the table and to be reminded of the story of who we are and whose we are and what God is doing to bring justice into the world. The justice a woman wants, a justice a man wants, a justice for the sake of our children. If you're willing to do that, then you'll appreciate being invited to God's table one more time.